Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. In Malifaux, family loyalty doesn't mean much. Many a prospector has sold out his own parents for a chance at wealth and power. But blood is still thicker than water, and family bonds can sometimes turn out to be of the utmost importance, as tonight's story demonstrates. Stay with us for Family Bonds, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breesar Broadcast is brought to you by Betsy's Beard Wax. Each bottle of Betsy's Beard Wax is made from rendered wax from Betsy's own beehives, mixed with our special combination of pork fat, gelatin, algae, and industrial byproducts. It's perfect for beards of all sizes, from enormous to tiny. No true gentleman leaves the house without slathering a dollop of Betsy's beard wax into his chin hair. It's also a surefire cure for bunions. Family Bonds by Matthew Ritter It was a cold and unforgiving night. One dead man hung inside out, flayed alive in a way that was most unseemly to those witnessing it. None of them enjoyed the sight, but they were members of a group known in Malifaux as the Guild. Malifaux was a place of horror, pain and sorrow. None of them were new and this was not the worst thing that any of them had seen. This was orderly, almost calm, a purposeful killing for a specific ritual. Magic most dark, most likely. Not just to fill up one of those trinkets known as soul stones, but something else. They didn't know what else, of course. It was their job to find out. Only one of them was going to the one most horrified by what he saw. He would find out the truth, and then he would die. Spoiling the ending, am I? Perhaps. I've never been the best at telling stories. Still, this is not so much the story of this man, as it is the story of a family of which he is a member. This is but part of a story, and for one moment this story and him intersected. After he dies, the story goes on. Before he was born, the story went on. He looked at the body of his dead cousin. It was why this horror hit him harder than most. It was someone he'd known, a man he'd crossed the breach with. They had shared much, different paths. He had been a baker, something often forgotten about by those in Malifaux dreaming of wealth and terror. 
Food, just as necessary here as anywhere, and a baker is a noble profession. More noble than most in many ways. One who would kill the baker, one who, at least as far as his cousin knew, had done nothing wrong, must be a heinous individual indeed. Or someone who needed something. This man, who the story is about briefly, his name was Conrad Guthin. He was a member of the guild, newly promoted. Proud of his promotion, his uniform, his job. Something of an investigator now, with some autonomy. More than just the yes-man he'd been before. He had bosses. He had people to listen to and obey. But he also had enough clout to act. One of the other guild men said something. What he said is not important. His tone was. It was irreverent. No surprise. Sarcastic. And Conrad had just lost a friend. Conrad told this man to get out. According to rank, they were the same. But there was a steel in Conrad's voice, and the man left. The steel let the other guild men there know that this was personal. They heard it sometimes. It was unavoidable in many ways. So many people in Malifaux meet bad ends. What do they say? Bad things happen. Yes. That sums it all up so very well. Conrad examined the scene. He tried not to think about his friend, his almost brother, as being dead. It was hard, though, what had happened to him. His midsection opened up, organs here, there, strewn about. He was tied to the floor and the ceiling spread eagle. He guessed correctly. This was to make him easier to work on. The symbols on the ground felt both new and old to him. Odd, foreign-looking symbols. They reminded him of the oriental sketches he'd seen around. Contrary to what many believed, the world of Malifaux was made up of quite a number of ancestries. Everyone wanted to come through the breach and test their luck and their talents. Conrad asked those still in the room if they'd ever seen anything like this. A series of non-committal shrugs and half-mumbles. Malifaux was not a place where curiosity was often rewarded. The guild was dangerous, and sticking your neck out often got it cut off. If Conrad had followed this advice... But, ah, is that true? No. Things would have gone the same. He looked... And he looked. He made sketches of some of the symbols. He did more diligent work that day than any other he had for the guild. He could not bring himself to help when they cleaned up the body. He did, however, have a hunch. The guild kept records. Not the best, but they kept them. And he checked. A man here, a man there. Not many. But if there were some recorded, there were probably scores more that had slipped through the cracks. He knew a ripper case when he saw it. Always men. Always bound. 
always with strange symbols drawn around them. His cousin was just the most recent. Considering this was Malifaux, he doubted the arcane drawings were just for show. If it had been going on this long, someone else knew about it. No one could do something like this in secret. He'd need to find those that knew of the magics. He went to the witch hunters. True, most of what the witch hunters knew was of how to kill those that used magic. Or at least try. But it gave him something to go on. He heard someone mention the thunders. That was all he got. Almost offhand by one witch hunter wasting time on a lazy day. Conrad perked up. He asked who the thunders were. It was the wrong question, of course. But asking the right questions is a skill that takes centuries to master. He didn't get an answer. The amount of people in Malifaux who know the answer to that number are so few. So few. He got the standard responses. Ancient Oriental mysticism. Conspiracy theories. Talk of assassins dressed in the shadows themselves. He would have dismissed it. But this was Malifaux. This was not the craziest thing he had heard this day. More importantly, Conrad found out about an area. Not quite in the right part of the city, which had a high amount of those who might know about the markings he'd seen. With a name on his lips and a place to look, he was off. He thought, like many did, about the Fallen. He dreamed about him. Oddly, he dreamed about his grandmother more. The phrase, this is not for children, echoed through his head. He always heard her voice saying that when he saw something terrible. He'd heard it that night, when he'd seen his cousin trussed up. Yet that was not what she had been referring to. She'd meant the old scrolls that she had. She was actually his great-grandmother, but had found the title too cumbersome. She claimed there were scrolls from her great-great-grandmother, scrolls brought with them to the new land. Why he dreamed of that, he didn't know. He had never encountered much of the kingdoms until that day. Even if it was just a taste, the smell of the exotic food, the strange hats and styles of dress, the makeshift housing. It all struck him as very different. He looked down upon it as backwards. Of course, he was right about some things and wrong about others. That is always the way. For there is no path forward, only paths. He showed the symbols he'd sketched to many locals. Most pretended that they'd not speak the same language as him. A few even made him believe it. He also asked about the Thunders. And that caused even more to forget what language they spoke. He saw it in their eyes, the flicker of doubt and worry. It was nearing the end of the third day of his time scouring for information, and he was beginning to think that someone who did not know the language would never be able to find anything in the little hovel town he was looking through. And that was when she found him. 
She was very good at what she did. And so he never realized she was hunting him. Never realized that she was waiting on multiple corners and in multiple spots to be noticed. The annoyed frown the young woman had each time he passed her by. It was the sixth time that he finally saw her, chatting to an older gentleman, their conversation ending as he approached. She turned, almost bumping right into him. Patience was never her strong suit. She asked to be excused as she nearly bumped him. Her voice was accented, but only slightly. That drew his attention. He was polite, at least as polite as a member of the guild ever was while asking questions. Finally, someone he could talk to easily. She was polite back, but she made sure he knew it was an imposition. At least she wanted him to think that was the case. He sadly had little chance of seeing through her. When someone anywhere in the city asks too many questions, somebody notices. He was cordial. He only talked down to her a little, asking her about the symbols he had sketched, about what they meant. She told him many things. That they were very old, powerful magics. Twisted magics, the kind that you should not look into. The kind of thing that searching for will only bring ruin. She was warning him, but she knew that a warning said just right was not a warning at all, but a call. She let her eyes close in an almost sensual way, mysterious and exotic, at least to him. She told him a name, Yan Lo, said like an incantation. She told him that this spellcaster, older than the stars, from across the sea and through the breach, who died long ago, and came back only to die again, who purged the world of demons, and then crafted new ones because he was bored, who walks the path of bone, ash, and spirit, who walks the paths and yet moves nowhere, a man who is a ghost, and yet with us always who can live in our dreams and feast on our flesh. These things she told him, and more. Conrad asked if he was related to the Thunders. She laughed and told him that legends were just legends. The conversation turned to his family member, and she told him that there is power in family. Some might even say the most power. He told her about how his grandmother used to say that. He mused that maybe some local gang member was using the legend of Yan Lo to his advantage, taking the name to strike fear. It was not unheard of. He talked about his baker cousin. He talked for some time. He eventually realized he was talking to nothing but air, and she was gone. She had done what she planned to do. And now she was gone, like a ghost. That was the way of Chiaki. She could not simply let things go as they were going. Impatient. So much potential, but, ah, wasted on youth. As are all things. 
If only youth could be taken from the young and given to those that could use it. But I continue to get ahead of myself in a story that ends so darkly. He had a name now. A man. A being. Yan Lo. He asked. Not just in that part of town, but others. And he heard so many things. Some people had met Yan Lo. They said he was an old man on the way out. Others said he was indeed a ghost. Oh, the things they told him. Some said he was a zombie, ever rejuvenating. A master of fighting. A controller of the undead. A summoner of spirits. All of these. None of these. He slowly found, though, as he had suspected, that Yan Lo was more than just some legend. He was a legend, yes, from the old world, and Conrad was starting to think he was more than just someone using the name. He surmised that Yan Lo was a wizard from the old world that had found himself in Malifaux and been rejuvenated. It was a good guess. Malifaux gave many things new and strange powers. It could give people powers beyond their dreams or their nightmares. He looked into it. It helped that there was another killing. Like the first. Like the others. His reports had gained traction. A ripper was on the loose. And something about that always scared people. They wanted to keep it under wraps. And so, instead of being given more autonomy and resources by the guild, he was stripped of them. They felt he might be too loud. Too loud about what he was doing. So he loudly complained, and they quietly got rid of him. Not as sometimes happens in the back alleys of Malifaux, but simply by letting him go, stripping him of his rank, of his words, of his symbols, making him just a man. This made it, at least in some places, easier to ask questions, so he was not too upset. He could still follow the paths. It led him to books. It was hard to find translated works, or anyone who would translate for him, so he found himself matching symbols to symbols. He found what some of the symbols drawn around the corpses had meant. Unity, family, duty, things of this nature. It puzzled him as he looked over the dusty scrolls. They were reminiscent of his grandmother, of what she would tell him. Stories of the distant parts of the family. Travelling across lands and oceans. Things they had seen and done. He realised the symbols had reminded him of this. Because they had been the kind on those scrolls. He realised that some part of his family had possibly come from the eastern lands. It was a mockery to him that symbols like duty and family would be put about a corpse. That things would be stripped from him. Things he had held dear by someone doing dark, twisted magics. But a name. Yan Lo. 
and some symbols. How did it help him? How would he know how to stop the next killing? Get revenge for his family? How could he act out his own duty and his own honour? Like most mysteries, the answer was staring at him. The truth of events threatening to swallow him whole. It was the circles. At the first killing, one of the symbols had been circled. At the other killing, another. A different one. Why? Parts of a spell? Steps? He also realised each man had been killed, or at least bound, at a very specific place. At the second killing, the circles drawn around the corpse had been continued in different rooms very carefully. If location was important, then a pattern might be visible. So he got a map. A big map of the city. And he started marking all the places he knew where the killings had happened. Marking and marking. The records were spotty. But he knew the two for sure, and a few other maybes. And, as this is his story, at least for now, sure enough, he saw there was a pattern. At least there seemed to be. Circles. Getting smaller. Each one in a different place like the circles drawn on the crime scenes. If that was true then it would not be difficult to guess the next circle, to guess the next place. He knew the location of the next murder. He tried to tell his commander, or his former one from the guild. He tried, but they didn't want to hear it, not from a disgraced washout. Not that it would have mattered if they did, it would simply have gotten more men hurt, but he didn't know that. He decided to go and see about the location. It was a night much like when his cousin had died, a sign if ever there was one. The street was mostly empty, the building uninhabited like many in the city. So many places no one ever went. It was surprising there weren't rippers on every corner. Or maybe there were working in the shadows, without anyone ever noticing. The building had once been something, but the sign was worn down and he could not tell what it was. He could not tell from what was inside what it had been either. It had been looted clean. Wooden floors and dust were mostly what remained. In one room he found the circles, already drawn, ready. He knew for sure he had found the right place. Of course, the fear only hit him now, in this moment of the hunt. It was an abstract fear that the killer might be in the area. It was not until the chains grabbed him that he was afraid for another reason. He had not seen it from the inside. From outside, though, of course you see. Don't you? 
You understand what is happening to him as the chains bind his legs and feet, controlled by magic, and binding him spread-eagled above the circle. He is next to die. He was always the next to die. The last, actually. The very last. You know why, don't you? Because family is powerful. Because blood is powerful. Because family blood is powerful. And because his family and the family of the killer are the same. Because power can be drawn from anyone with the bloodline. Even if, at this point, it is impure, tainted, watered down, too wasted to have him be of any use alive, but just enough that his death could fuel so much. Oh, what is it? Why am I telling you this? Well, I want you to know. To... Oh, Conrad. Yes. Yes, I was lost in the past. Sometimes I'm lost in the future. I did not mean to speak to you as if you were not here. I just wanted you to understand. To understand. There are things that need done in this new world. And you will help. You were the last of the tainted blood in Malifaux. The power you will grant me, oh me... I am Yan Lo, of course, at least for now. Tomorrow I could be so many things cursed as I am, doomed to never die, doomed to never live. It is a strange existence, a problem you do not have. Do you, Conrad? No. You are doomed to be useful. Your cousin? Yes, also useful. He had to die, as do you. For the ritual, for the path of bone, ash, and spirit. So I am to walk the path. So I may walk it and perhaps find the end, if there is an end. Is there an end, Conrad? Won't you tell me on the other side? That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.